In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is a feast day. It's a celebration. It is Latare, or Mothering Sunday. Hence these rose-colored vestments that you see around this place this morning. And it's a wonderful, long-standing tradition that goes at least as far back to the Middle Ages. And the word latare is Latin, and it comes from the word rejoice. At the beginning of our introit this morning, rejoicio Jerusalem. And it is a Sunday, a time of respite, about halfway through Lent, when the Lenten restrictions are lifted and we may celebrate. However, we're celebrating something very specific this morning as well, with Mothering Sunday, which is also a great medieval tradition, especially in medieval England. Uh, We know it was celebrated very, very popularly. In the medieval world, on Mothering Sunday, Christians would return to their mother church, the church where they were baptized, where they were reared in the faith, where they heard the gospel proclaimed from the pulpit, and they learned and studied the scriptures and learned about God. And the medieval serfs would oftentimes be given a few days off, so that way they could travel off to their home church. And oftentimes this was indeed the medieval cathedral. And so it's a very special day, not only for us as Christians following the liturgical year, but as Christians at a cathedral. We are the mother church of the Diocese of Albany. And so Christians would return uh, to their mother church and thank God for their being brought up in the faith there. Now, I will say as a quick caveat, moms, don't worry, we'll get to you on Mother's Day. Uh, This this wonderful holiday has been somewhat commandeered uh, in, in Britain as their Mother's Day, but... We'll get to you in May, don't worry. We're looking forward to that as well. But this is a Sunday about Mother Church. And we thank God this morning that he works through his church. And as we'll see in our lessons this morning, as we've seen, we'll see that he works through the church, our mother, primarily by working through sinners like me and like you, working through the sacraments like baptism, And working through the proclamation of the word in preaching, in the reading of scripture, and in study. And so in short, we could say that Mothering Sunday is a celebration, a rejoicing of the ordinary means of grace. And this is something we often miss. We are often blinded to it if we're looking for God to work in extraordinary and new ways, which he does sometimes, and he's liable to do. But this morning, we celebrate Old Mother Church in the old ways, the tried and true ways that God has said he will work and still works today. And so turning first to our Old Testament lesson, we encounter the calling and anointing of David as king. By Samuel. Now, first, a bit of background before we dive in. If you'll recall, 
Israel did not have a king other than God at first, right? And God said, that's enough, I am your king. But they insisted they wanted a king like all the other uh, surrounding nations. And so they begged God for a king. And so he gave them Saul, and he said, I'm going to tell you this is probably not going to work out very well for you. And indeed, it did not. Saul was a total lemon of a king. And so Saul sends Samuel the prophet, and he's also a a judge as well, Samuel the judge and the prophet, to go and name and anoint and appoint the next king of Israel for him. And so Samuel, as a judge and a prophet, he's something of a sort of ancient Old Testament warlord. That would be sort of our best uh, way of thinking of it, I think. And this explains why, when he arrives in Bethlehem, the elders of the city say, Do you come peaceably? They're understandably a little worried about what might develop. And he says, I come in peace. I am here. We're going to make a sacrifice and we're going to name the new king. And so that is just what they do. And then we have something of a funny development of events. There there are a lot of funny moments, actually, in our lessons this morning. But in our Old Testament lesson, it's, it's almost laughable, right? So all of David's brothers, the sons of Jesse, all line up. And it's something like, we should picture in our minds, something like America's next top model, right? They're all lining up, and here Samuel has an idea in his head of what he thinks a king should look like. We all have ideas in our heads, I think, of what we think God should be doing and how we think God should act, either subconsciously or consciously. And so Samuel's got an idea of what the king looks like, what the king should look like. And so he kind of goes down the line. He's like, well, I think he looks like a king. I think he looks like a king. And every time God says no... No, no. And then God says, the Lord does not see as mortals see. They look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so Samuel almost misses it because he's got an idea in his head of how he thinks God should be acting. But God is God, and he picks who he wants, and he works the way that he chooses and says that he will work. Now, we shouldn't mistake this as a sort of moral lesson about don't judge a book by its cover. That's true. We shouldn't judge a book by its cover. We shouldn't judge people based on how they look, right? We should think about their hearts. However, what is being said here, I think, in our Old Testament lesson is even deeper. That is to say, if we look at David's heart, he doesn't have a good heart, right? We only need to read on a little bit farther in the Old Testament. And we'll see David's liar, he is adulterous, he is a murderer. And so this is not a statement that David's heart is inherently good. But rather, it's a statement that God looks at all, all of our hearts. He looks at David's heart. And he sees how bad it is, how steeped it is in sin. And he still loves us, and he still elects us to work through. He still chooses sinners like us to work through in his church. Now again, Samuel almost missed this, right? Because he had an expectation of what God would be doing. But God has always said that he will work through each one of us in his church. God works just as he always said he would. Just how the law and the prophets predicted through Jesus, ultimately, a suffering servant. He works through sinners like us in his church. And so we celebrate that, firstly, this morning. 
As we celebrate Old Mother Church, we thank God that he works through us. Secondly, and when we turn to our gospel, we see the other two ways, I think, that we, we celebrate, we rejoice this morning about how God works. In the Gospel of John, in our passage this morning, we see that God works in sacrament and he works in word. The heart of our gospel lesson this morning, there really is, there's so much we can talk about from it. It's a, you all did very well, by the way, standing that whole time. That was a long one. And there's so much there. But the real heart of it, I think, is that we, we, we see here this blind man being enlightened. He's the real heart of this narrative. That's the kernel. And so we see through this how God works in his church, how he works to enlighten us. So, diving in, walking along, Jesus and his disciples encounter this blind man. He's blind from birth at this pool of silver. He's hanging out there. And Jesus heals the blind man by spitting on the ground. And he makes, we heard here, mud. And he puts it in the man's eyes and tells him to wash in the pool. And the man sees again. Now, mud here is actually probably not the best translation. It's pretty much always translated as that in most of our modern English translations. But if you look at some of the more uh, ancient, older English translations, and you go back even to the Greek, the word itself is clay. And so it's hearkening back, that word, to creation in Genesis. It's hearkening back to the story of Adam and Eve when God took dust from the ground and made man. And so when Jesus is spreading the clay on this man's eyes, it's a theme of recreation. He's recreating this man, helping him to see again. And not just physically, but also spiritually. And so we could say that we see all of us in the blind man. He is representative of each one of us. We are all born blind, each one of us. It is what it means to be human. We're born steeped in sin. But just like the blind man, we cannot will ourselves to see. We need God to step in and make us to see. We need God to enlighten us. And so how are we enlightened? Well, Jesus recreates us, and that's what we see here in this image of clay. But he tells the man to go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. Now, if you look over at our baptismal font over there, you'll see across the top rim, it's, it's, it has a quote from this. It says, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, which means sent. And that's because Bishop Doan, when he, when he did that, he was leaning into, he was applying a rich, rich tradition from the ancient church that said that this is an image of baptism. When this man washes, it's an image of our baptism. And so when we are recreated and we are regenerated in baptism, we are enlightened. This is how God works. He works through the sacrament of baptism. But he also works through other sacraments as well, of course, through Holy Communion, which we shall turn to in a few moments. 
And he works through all the other wonderful sacraments, if you like to call them that, or sacramentals, as they're sometimes called, uh, that we have in the Book of Common Prayer, right? Anointing, marriage, through the clergy, right? Through all of this, God works. He has always said that he would work this way. And this is how he still works. And so we see here the second of the ways that God works in Old Mother Church. He works through the sacraments. And then finally, we see in John also the third way, I think, that God works through the church. He works through the proclamation of the word, through the reading of scripture, through preaching, through teaching, learning, and study. And so returning to John, we see the Pharisees want to get to the bottom of what happened to this man born blind. We have an image that is something like an ancient law and order. They go around interrogating everybody. And we have a few more laughable moments here. They're entertaining. They're pretty funny, I think. Firstly, the man's parents really throw him under the bus, don't they? Right? The Pharisees come to the man's parents and ask him, well, what happened here? And, he said, and they say, all we can tell you is he was born blind. Now he says he's not. You go talk to him. We're not going to get into it. Poor guy. But then when the Pharisees come to this man, we see an interesting development. The man grows in his enlightenment, in his understanding of what happened to him. When the Pharisees first come to him, he says, I don't know if he's a sinner, but I can tell you this. The one thing I do know is I was blind and now I see. And there's a beautiful simplicity about that response, I think. His response is more than enough. God has worked in this man's life. He has enlightened him. And he's saying, I don't understand it all, but my life is different now. And I will bear testimony to that. I think oftentimes in the church, we can get bogged down with all of the details, right? And this man is saying... Look, I, don't, I can't tell you about the doctrine of the Trinity. I can't tell you about the doctrine of the church. I can't tell you about the atonement. But I can tell you I've encountered God and he's changed my life. And so I think there's a lesson to be learned here. That our faith is simple and can be simple at its best. And I say that, by the way, as, as a PhD in systematic theology. So I'm the poster child for getting bogged down with the details. Right? Getting bogged down with the details. Of God. But this man's response is beautifully simple. However, interestingly, we see that God keeps working in the man. Jesus seeks the man out and he proclaims to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And the man asks, Who is he? And Jesus says, I am he. He proclaims himself to him, and the man believes. And I think this shows that after our baptism, our spiritual life and our sanctification, it's a process. It's an eternal process, I think. The blind man doesn't get it right away. At first, he's a little unclear about what happened. But he slowly but surely gets more enlightened as the gospel is proclaimed to him. And Jesus proclaims to him what happened to him. And I think this shows what happens to us. In the church. We are baptized, we are recreated, and we come back to church again 
and again to hear the word of God proclaimed to us in Scripture, in preaching, and in teaching. And as the reformer John Calvin says, Jesus Christ comes clothed to us in his gospel in the Scriptures. And so when the gospel is proclaimed, we encounter Christ, we encounter God himself. This is how God works in his church. But the Pharisees don't see it. They are blind over here. There are the clearest of indications that Jesus is the Messiah, that this is God at work. It's plain as the nose on their faces. God is working how he always said that he would. He is enlightening through water and through word. And yet the Pharisees, we hear, are spiritually blind because they're expecting something different. They had built up uh, all of these different rules and laws on top of the Old Testament that were a creation in, in many ways of their own scholarship, their own minds. And so they thought they knew what the Messiah should be like. They thought they knew how God should act. And so when Jesus is healing on the Sabbath, when he is making clay on the Sabbath, all these things fly in the face of what they thought the Messiah should look like. But it wasn't anything new. It was exactly how God said he would work. And I think it's so often that we miss God working in the way he's always worked. When we're looking for him to work in the way that we think he should work in. And so, thirdly, this morning we do. We celebrate God working through the proclamation of his word in the church. And so, to conclude, we see, I think, this morning in our lessons that God works through the church in wonderful ways. Ways that he always said he would. He works through sinners like us. He works through the sacraments especially baptism. And he works through the proclamation of his word. And so in short, this morning on Mothering Sunday, we're celebrating God working through the ordinary means of grace. But how often we neglect and forget this, and we miss it because we're looking for God to work in new ways. But as Paul says in our epistle lesson, we were once in darkness, but we are now in the light. And so let us awake. See what has always been here. And so on this Mothering Sunday, Latare, rejoice in Mother Church. Christ has died and risen for us. And so hear this good news proclaimed in the church this morning in our cathedral. Let us feast on that good news in holy communion. And let us go, as they said in a kind of folksy way in the Middle Ages, let us go a-mothering this morning. And let us rejoice in Mother Church, old Mother Church, through whom God still works. Thanks be to God. Amen.